Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the memorable, marvelous, and merry Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am pumped up to do some podcasting, Christopher. Oh, that's very alliterative of you? Yes. Pumped very up. alliterative yes. of you. Very alliterative. Very alliterate of me? Or... Uh, illiterate or alliterative? Yeah, you know, what, what or the other? One or the other. Oft, <laughs> often people can't be both. <laughs> I mean, can, it'd be cool if you could be both at the same time. That's true. I guess time, if you're talking right? in an alliterative manner, you can still be illiterate and be alliterative. But it's a yeah, that's true. Difficult. That's very true. Uh, so that's our five seconds of silliness. Let's get to it. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, announcements: The Streets of Avalon Kickstarter. It's going to end on Thursday, January seventeenth. I think at nine fifty-eight a.m. Nine nine something a.m. I'm sorry, eight. 58 a.m. Eastern Time. Ah, so the, the last hours are, are that morning, huh? Yes. So hopefully this show will drop on Wednesday, as it usually does. And so if you're hearing this and it's Wednesday, you have just less than 24 hours to shoot over to the Streets of Avalon Kickstarter and see if you, it's something that you would like to back. By that Can time, I tell you, it's going super well. It really is. We've shot through all the original stretch goals we had. We had to come up with some more. Yep. Uh, we did come up with some more that were, you know, within budget and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you can check those out on the Kickstarter page. I have to say, um, so the Knights of the Night, they did an actual play with uh, Brett B. from Gaming Abyss, the creator of Avalon, running running the game. So that was really nice of them. It was a three-part uh, story, and it's out, the whole entirety of it's out, so you can check that out. Mm-hmm. It's all over the Kickstarter page, so you can find it there. Um Morris from N-World talked about the Kickstarter on their podcast, the uh, E-N-World's unofficial table talk rpg uh talk show I, I, it's got some sort of weird name like that right. awesome <laughs> uh, they, they, it was funny their segment on it was funny because they're like they do a thing where um the hosts uh, uh morris goes here's the name of the pick of the kickstarter and, and the product what do you think it is to the other host and the other host tries to guess and when he gets it wrong like morris keeps giving him negative points oh that's funny so it's, of course, it's called the Streets of Avalon. So, like, Arthurian? Nope. Um, <laughs> modern? Nope. Uh, dark and gritty? Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> like, has nothing to do with anything Arthurian at all. I was listening to it. I'm cracking up. I'm like, yeah, you got none of this. <laughs> That's great. Well, at least you know so, there are streets. Yes, there are totally streets. Mm-hmm. And Avalon's just a name. Yep. <laughs> Actually, for those who are curious... Um, Brett named it Avalon because he's like, I'm tired of this whole Arthurian lore thing. I'm going to name something terrible Avalon to just like be counterintuitive <laughs> to it all. So that's actually the story behind the name of Avalon. Nice. Uh, so let's talk about Mike Shea's final D&D Beyond article on Theater of the Mind. Yep. So it, it's, it basically was a four-part series where he talked about different things. We've mentioned some of the other ones, but the final one went up, and it was adjudicating edge cases uh, using Theater of the Mind. I'm hoping that Soon, maybe within the next three or four episodes, we'll be able to get Mike on to talk about these and talk about theater of the mind versus grid uh, grid based playing in detail. Uh, but in the meantime, in preparation for us speaking to Mike, everyone who's interested should go read those articles and then let us know if you have questions or comments that you would like to address with Mike. Um, so mm-hmm. this article, as I mentioned, talks about edge cases using theater of the mind. 
it's a great article. My only complaint is in the wording of the title, because really what he's talking about are not edge cases. What he's talking about are the crux of the problems that many people have using theater of the mind if they're used to playing more grid-based mechanical combat. Yes. You know, we're talking about the movement issues of one character has a 25-foot movement, one character has a 35-foot movement. What? How do you give those characters the bonus of that 10 feet if you're abstracting things? Um, area of effect issues. Can I get all the monsters without getting my... A party? Can I get some of the monsters? You know, all of those things that come up that are the crux of the theater of the mind problem are what Mike discusses here. So one of the things that he talks about is ask the intent of the player. You as the player, what are you trying to do? What is your character trying to do as you're doing this action that we're not counting out squares on a map for? And if you can get the intent down, then it becomes easier to hash out between you how things should work and then you can just get to the action and that's i just wanted to mention that as part of the article uh but everyone should go read it in preparation for talking about it and discussing it yeah absolutely i mean a lot of this stuff is fascinating right like um this is the stuff that i deal with all the time because i like playing theater of the mind type games there you go so yeah that's we can stop right there with you know Go read the article. Boom. Yeah, uh, like I said, a lot of the stuff in a lot of the stuff in the article is is yeah not edge cases. This is you're right. The the common prux. Like how do you deal with movement? How do you deal with all that that good stuff? And uh, often the answer is err in the side of the favor of the players. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there. But there's a there's a lot more stuff in the article that you know will help you figure that that out. Yep. All right. Uh, next thing. A few more questions from our other listeners. So this won't be the whole segment or anything like that because we're going to talk about Dragon Heist. But Mm -hmm. uh, to get into it, this is a question from one of our patrons, Kevin Minorzak. What is your favorite or most intriguing supplemental material rule mechanic that you've come across that you haven't had a hand in creating? Uh, Kevin had a decade break in in D&D, and one of his favorite parts about coming back to the game is access to all the public contributions that are out there. Mm -hmm. So my, my favorite supplemental stuff revolves around things like downtime days and organizations and other mechanical elements that are non-adventuring because I feel like lots of people can create new backgrounds and monsters and feats and spells and so on. But to come up with cool things to do in the non-adventuring part of D&D that, that is both a game and a storytelling mechanic is awesome. So that's what I like. Uh, Some of the stuff from Xanathar's guide that expands what you can do at downtime days, I think is great. Yeah. I am. I like the new rules. Like some of my favorite rules are the new rules for traps in Xanathar's. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that book has done a lot for the game. I think making it a a much better game. Um, It's, it's weird because like, a lot of the good stuff in, in the game is actually in the core books because a lot of the um, modules that you can attach to the game are in the Dungeon Master's Guide. True. But Xanathar has a lot of good ones too. And I think the, the rewrite of traps and how like complex traps work and how to handle them like more than just a die roll mm-hmm. is way more fascinating to me than a lot of other things that have gone on in the game. Yep. Yeah, my favorite thing to do as a DM are traps. So having a cool way that's fun for the players and not just frustrating... Um, 
is is great to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I really love complex traps, right? Like right. things that are way more uh, complicated than just, you know, do you see it? Then you know, disable it. Right. You either stuff. you either see it or you don't. If you don't, it goes off. If you see it, you disable it. That's it. To make yeah. a full encounter out of a trap is is awesome. Even some of the simpler stuff, because it's like, well, there's a trap here, but you don't know what the trigger is, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that even that stuff, like the the rewrites for traps in that way are, are way more fascinating. I know people have been doing that stuff for a long time, but that was not how D and D was written for a long time, right? Uh, so, what's the next one? The next question came from Graham Ward, who is Dark Plane DM on Twitter, and he says, "Best house rule you've used in Fifth Edition." And Which yours? I don't use a lot of house rules uh, because while I'm usually writing for Adventures League or writing official things, I can't use house rules. Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing I do at the table, though, is I, I use inspiration correctly. So if you use inspiration, you have to announce it before the roll, and then you have advantage on the roll. But what I will do is allow characters to use two inspirations. So one character use it and another um, to let someone re-roll. And then the person, the people giving the inspiration, if it's not one of the people you know, involved in the actual role, have to describe how what they do to to make that re-roll happen. Do you yell a warning? You know, do you give a rousing speech? You know, what do you do? So that's that's what I like to do at the table. No, I, I, I don't use inspiration right at the table. I always just let people spend it to re-roll or die. Oh. Unless, of course... Unless, of course, they already have advantage on a roll, then I don't let them re-roll. Because that's, essentially that's what, inspir- that's what inspiration does when giving advantage, right? Right. But it's way more powerful if you let them roll after they see the first die roll. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, way like, more I'm, powerful. I'm bad. I'm, like, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm a bad DM. No. I, you know, I, I think... <laughs> I was putting it in finger quotes. <laughs> yeah, I think probably 90% of the DMs out there do it that way. And, and I may even be low on that estimate. Um, because it is more powerful. And... You know, it it's more useful, so therefore that's how people want to use it. Um, so that's why I give that give that option. First, give out lots of inspiration, and then let to inspiration be a reroll. Mm-hmm, it's a good one. Um, house rule for me is I've incorporated the gumshoe mechanics into D anD D so that I can play more investigative type games without having to worry about characters rolling and getting information that way. Mm-hmm. That is probably the my favorite house rule that I've used for fifth edition D and D, because it doesn't because it's got the problem that investigation games have, which is like I rolled the die and I didn't get the get the target number. Do I get the clue? No. Okay. Now what do we do? Go talk to somebody else or look around some more. Right? Like I uh, I can't stand that. So yep. And that's just a matter of adventure design, right? Uh, well, it's I, also a matter. It's also a matter of game design. In in like what way? Want, I mean, if you want people to be to be looking around and finding clues, then, um, I mean, I suppose you could just write it into your design that like they just automatically find clues, but the um that doesn't make for a that doesn't make for a game that creates investigation, because then there's no die roll ever, right? Okay, so so how do you use it then? Do you say if you have a certain bonus? you automatically find a clue? There are a couple of ways that I handle it. Okay. Um, first is, like, I have to understand the stakes 
of of finding the clue or not finding the clue. So, mm-hmm. one, if there's nothing, if there's no extra information to be found, then I don't bother setting a DC and I just hand them the clue, right? Okay. If there's extra information to be found, I set a DC. And then if they hit the DC, they get the information and the extra stuff. Or if there's like time stakes involved, then it just takes them longer and the timer moves along on the investigation track and they still get the clue. Okay. So there are actual mechanics now surrounding how investigation games can be run and played. Um, uh, and in the way that Gumshoe does it too, like, like a clue will get you to the next point. But extra information can do a number of things. One can give you more information about what's going on, can let you circumvent other other clues in in the in the trail that you were following, um, or can uh, speed up your investigation. Mm-hmm. So those are those are the actual mechanics. In fact, you can find those mechanics in um, you can find those mechanics in the Streets of Avalon Kickstarter because they're written in there in mm-hmm. in the in the book. Okay. Uh, also, I've changed how the for in my game I changed how the investigation skill works. Um, the investigation skill is not necessarily for finding clues; it is for f- making leaps of logic with the clues that you have in case you need it, need help. Okay. So, like, you make an investigation check to like take the stuff that you have in front of you and f- and maybe get some some information from the GM based on the stuff that you have. Okay. So that's how I handle that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Cool. All right, so that's our uh, those are our house rules that we like the most. Uh, let's move on to our topic. We're going to talk about Dragon Heist, the Xanathar's Lair, and Manchun's Operation. So, uh, so Sean, I read the Xanathar's Lair, and you read Manchun's Operation. We're, so we're going to talk about both of these sections. Yes, sir. We certainly are going to give it a shot. <laughs> yep. All right. So um, I'll go first. We'll, we'll talk, and you can ask me questions about about the Xanathar section. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So there's an intro, like a, a couple paragraph intro, and it's good info info for what Xanathar is thinking. And then how you might use this part of the game in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, because this might not be used in your uh, your Dragon Heist game, obviously, because he, Xanathar might not be one of your villains. Um, the other cool thing is that you can randomize where Xanathar is before the characters even enter Xanathar's lair. And that will matter a little bit, depending on where he is. Um, then there's a section about facing Xanathar. And let me just tell you, and I think this will apply to Manchun too, is like, don't fight Xanathar. Mm-hmm. It's not a good idea. Uh, in fact, if you try to fight Xanathar, he just kills one of the player characters and then offers a deal. And if the player characters don't take the deal, he just kills another player character and then offers the deal again until, you know, everyone's dead or the deal is accepted. Because let me tell you, those third and fourth level PCs aren't killing the Beholder. Right. I think it's very important to remind listeners here that this adventure is for like first through fifth level characters or so. Yes. So we're talking about Beholders and Archmages at high levels here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the thing is, though, when you when you run into Xanathar, like he's going to offer you a deal. He's like, if you have the Stone of Goldor, um, or you don't have the Stone of Goldor, and they have the Stone of Goldor, like he'll off. He wants you to go to the vault with him and deal with the dragon. So you and one of his um, lieutenants, uh, I think uh, Amarago, will go to the vault and you can fight the dragon. With the Beholder, which is kind of neat if you think about it. Like, I think that's kind of fun, right? Like, oh, why are we in over our heads so much fighting a dragon with a Beholder? Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a great. I, I love that mm-hmm. twist. Yeah, uh, and, and that's kind of how that goes. Uh, there's also some cool stuff about Xanathar. One of my favorite things is like Xanathar has this insane love for its pet fish, uh, Silgar. And I think it's hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a little bit of flavor, but it's also leverage that you can, if you figure it out and you know that information, you can use it. 
Uh, I don't know if Manchun has anything like that, but I, I love that that Xanathar has that bit of bit of fluff to it that is actually useful. Right, it is. Right. It, you, know, you could tell a great story and tell a different kind of story with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next section is about foiling Xanathar's operation. There's a bunch of different ways that player characters can can do that. Um, you can do it by enraging the Xanathar, which is like you could kidnap uh, Silgar. Um, you can destroy its dream nullifier. So it's got a dream nullifier to give it peace of mind while it's sleeping, which I think is hilarious. So it's like got a sleep machine, right? It's got like a CPAP. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I think about that, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, also, also it, it's got a bunch of cobalt chefs that are like master chefs. And if you kill or do something terrible to the chefs, you will you will enrage Xanathar also by doing that because Xanathar loves eating finely cooked meals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the other thing you can do is you can disrupt the command structure. So like if you kill uh, Amarego or Anoska or Gray, those are two of the main lieutenants for the Xanathar. That will really mess up um, the operation for like a ten day. Mm-hmm. So that'll you know that's ten days which the Xanathar guild is not functioning very well. Um, role play that out as you will. You can um, also blind the Xanathar. There's um, there's somebody. I think it's Narl Zimbrindas. He has like a concoction, and if you use that concoction on Xanathar, you can blind Xanathar. You can basically stick it in his food. I think is the trick, mm. and it will. Uh, I mean, if there, if Xanathar can't see, that's a big deal to the Xanathar guild because he's like a big information person because he can see through all those gazers and whatnot, or mm-hmm. it can see through all those gazers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's so mistrust. So that's like, uh, it, it specifically cites the fish. So, mm-hmm. or if if you if somebody is like thinking about doing, if you can get the Xanathar to think that one of his lieutenants or someone is trying to do away with the fish, then um, Silgar, then Xanathar will essentially disintegrate that person for being you know paranoid and whatnot because the Xanathar is paranoid, and uh, once again you know create a whole bunch of chaos within the Xanathar guild, and then you can destroy the lair. So there's like a smoke powder plot that you can engage in where you can blow up parts of the Xanathar layer and then it will collapse over an hour. And then they have to run to, uh, um, uh, what's the, uh, Skullport. Yep, Skullport. Yeah, so then they don't have their base anymore. In this section, there's also an amazingly good bar, sidebar on important underlings. It's like a nice little list. And each mm-hmm. of those underlings is described in Appendix B, but it's like a quick handy reference right there. Oh, yeah. Um, right after that, then there's a section about finding the lair because that's a thing. Like n- people don't always know where the Xanathar lair is, so uh, a bunch of the factions kind of know where the Xanathar lair is. And if you are, um, if you have a high enough renown, even if you don't have a high enough renown, um, if you have a high enough renown, you can find out where they are, or just like ask your guild where the Xanathar guild is. They'll, they'll kind of tell you. Uh, if you're, and then if you have a high enough renown, you get a, you get a cool little reward. So, like the Harpers, um, Mert, the moneylender, Mert will tell them where the Xanathar Guild is, but if you have a renown level of four or more, uh, Mert will tell you about Silvar, will tell you that he that the Xanathar is paranoid, and will tell you some other like neat little information about the Xanathar that you can utilize to, to deal with it, because you don't really want to fight the Xanathar. <laughs> True. Um, some of the other ones will just give you people to go with you, which is also useful. But that is, a, I thought I'd highlight the one where you get a bunch of useful information because that creates a bunch of fun role-playing opportunities. Mm-hmm. Then after that, there's an air, uh, the section on the areas of the lair, and the Xanathar lair is huge, and we're not going to cover it all. I just want to hit a few few of the spots in there because I think they're fun. So there's the Pit of Blood and Fortune. That's X6. It's a pit-fighting arena, and the bad guys will beat the PCs to make them fight it even if they don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and there's um in at the end of the section there's a there's a thing called blood and fortune which is the rules for the tournament. Yeah. Um, you lose if you're killed, incapacitated, or disqualified. It they set you in teams of three. There are four teams. There are three fights. You get a short rest between each one, and if you win, you get some money. And a, and an audience with the Xanathar, which is might be what you want. Yeah. So if you're if you have a group that wants to fight and such, this is a good way to do that without getting murdered in the Xanathar Guild. Mm-hmm. And get quick and easy access to Xanathar without having to go through his whole layer looking for him. Yeah, that true. That's also true because the Xanathar there's like four randomized spots that he could be if you decide to use that, or you can just put him wherever you want. Obviously, um, there was a hall of statues, and there's like a gnome clown that's like tumbling around in there <laughs> with a riddle, and if you Answer the gnome's riddle. The gnome will give you a guided tour of the lair. <laughs> I thought that was kind of weird and out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Amarego's collection. So that's one of the lieutenants. He's a minotaur enthusiast. So he has like a bunch of minotaur fetishes and dolls and stuff around his room. And he's got like a miniature maze. And that maze happens to have a maze spell on it. So if you touch it, you get maze cast on you. Nice. Also, there's a stuffed minotaur in there. And it's like a life-size stuffed minotaur, and there's a minotaur skeleton inside of it, which bursts <laughs> out of the minotaur if you are not Amarego and you walk in there. That's great. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, there's also the, the the next section or area I want to highlight is a Pantapetius. I, I can't actually pronounce that word. I probably should have looked it up. Uh, Panopticus. Pan- Panopticus. Thank you. Panopticus Guard Station. So the, there, these are five dwarven mages who are the surveillance system of this place. Now, there are these, in different areas, um, ghostly eye stalks that are, that are hanging off walls and whatnot. And this is, these are the mages that are looking through them. Um, this is a magical surveillance system, right? They have basically magical cameras in this place. Also in this room is a bell amplifier, which can communicate with the, uh, it's, called, it's Area X-18. That is where the Xanathar's like, audience hall is. Mm-hmm. So they can actually talk through the bell into the room with the, where the Xanathar is most often when there's like audiences and whatnot. So they have a surveillance system and a communication system. It's like a, like a lockdown security place, right? Like, I think that's really neat. Cool. Um, so then there's the Xanathar Sanctum. So this is where the Xanathar goes to sleep and whatnot. And in there is Ott Steeltoes, and he's the fish keeper. That's mm-hmm. right. Xanathar has a fish keeper. And this fish keeper, one of the lines in there, I thought it was great, is skilled at acquiring a replacement Slygar or Silgar before Xanathar realizes their pet has died. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's been many Silgars. <laughs> yes, just as if there have been many Xanathars. Yeah, right. There have been many Xanathars, actually. Um, there's a crypt. I didn't, I didn't highlight that place, but there's a crypt with a bunch of, like, dead elithids, or de- not dead elithids, dead beholders in it. Some of them are in, like, uh, embalming fluid tubes and then some of them have been uh you know disintegrated into dust and put in urns um there's a whole area dedicated to the illithid nihilor which is pretty messed up there are a bunch of captives that have been taken there that having they get their brains eaten by nihilor and then sometimes you know they use those to make uh intellect devourers and they're also and there are other ones that are uh being driven insane before they're eaten because apparently insane brains taste better right sean i've always thought so I know, right? Uh, and then the bodies get fed to a bunch of insane Koatoa. Like, it is not a nice place. No. <laughs> uh, and then the last couple of places that I want to mention this in this lair is um, X30 is the gourmet kitchen. This is where the cobalts, the cobalt chefs are. And they all have white uh, toque hats. You know, the, the chef hats? Yeah, yeah. They all, they all wander around there wearing those hats. And nice. they're wonderful cooks, especially of mushrooms, because that's what the Xenothar likes to do. He's sort of a vegetarian. 
It's so crazy to me. It's a, the, the Xanathar is a vegetarian. Um, and then there's another kitchen, and the other kitchen has a halfling in it named Bepis, who was kidnapped, and they tried to ransom him back, but nobody paid the ransom <laughs> because his jerk, his jerk in-laws took the ransom notes and tore them all up and told his wife that he ran off with another family. Oh, my goodness. I know, right? Like, I just want to play this game so I can go save that poor halfling <laughs> and go back and be like, all right, in-laws, take it. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> You're terrible people. You, you, I love the depth of storytelling there, you know? It's great. I know, right? Like, all of these places have stuff like that. Like, I, I picked out some of the ones that I thought were really neat, but um, there's tons of, like, flavor mm-hmm. in the writing, and I love it, and, and how they really tried to make it, like, well, it's a magical city, and what if they had, like, what are they doing with their magic to, to give themselves security, right? Sure. Um, last thing I want to mention in the section is there's a thing called Tol, uh, Troll Tide Slaughter, so it's springtime. So there's a there's a troll tide festival, and the Xanathar isn't very nice. So as part of a joke for the troll tide uh, festival, he looses a bunch of trolls into the streets that have like blinding helmets on, and also are slowed by uh, shackles that have like uh, balls and chains on them. And there's like an encounter in there that you can engage with that will actually make if the player characters save the person, the noble, mm-hmm. the noble talks about them, and then their bar becomes more famous. Mm-hmm. So it's it's neat. It all ties together, right? Like it's it's good stuff. Excellent. And so what Chris just talked about was the chapter he read, and there are four chapters, uh, each dealing with a different enemy and each dealing with a different season. So uh, Xanathar's was springtime. Uh, the chapter eight that I focused on is wintertime, and the enemy is Manshun and his Zintarum cult. Uh the reason I'm reviewing this one is because this is the one I play tested, and so I had some familiarity with it. Plus, I love the history of Manchun and the Zentarum, um, so it was the one I was most drawn to when as I was reading through. It's really cool. Like yep. I love the Zentarum and Manchun too. Like all those clones. Yep. So, what Chris said was probably very similar to what I'm going to say. Just the, some of the details are switched. A, you don't want to rush in and just try to go through this like it's a dungeon crawl and get through to the end and beat the the main bad guy. Because the main bad guy is Manchun, who is a, I think, CR-13 wizard with a staff of power and and so on. Um, So, like, 5th and 6th level characters probably not going to do too well there. There are many interesting parts about this. The most interesting for me is, while Manchun is the... um, the brains behind this Zentarum sect that's trying to take over Waterdeep. He doesn't want his mortal enemies like the Blackstaff and Elminster and Mert to know he's, he's still alive. So he's hiding in a place called Colat Towers. And it says right up front in the facing man soon, sorry, in the facing Manchun section, you don't want to rush in. And sometimes it's easier to disrupt an operation rather than destroy everything. And mm-hmm. so they, they give different ways you can disrupt his operation rather than trying to defeat him. One is releasing this demon that they've, they're holding in the tower. Another is just to get mm-hmm. evidence. Yeah. Another is to give evidence that he's alive and if you give evidence that he's alive, the Waterdeep authorities in force come in and try to 
take care of him because they know what a disaster it would be if he came to power. Yeah, that seems like a much better plan for any player characters of that level range. Yeah. And, and it basically says, this is what they do. You know, the city watch comes and cordons off the towers. The black staff and the watchful order come and assist as needed. Uh, you know, so it's it's a full-on SWAT team assault on, on Colat Towers. As it should be, right? It's sure. Man Shun. He's a <laughs> terrible villain. Right, right. He's, yeah. If everyone knows he's alive and in power uh, in this way, things get done right then and there. That means if the player characters, you know, see Manchun and Manchun realizes that they know he's alive, Manchun is probably going to try to kill them as fast as humanly possible. This is true as well. So the next section of this chapter are a description of Colat Towers. And these are neat because these towers are basically in a state in the South Ward. And people, their neighbors, think that this is a haunted place because it was owned by two brothers who were both wizards who did not get along with each other. And suddenly they were no longer around. So everyone just assumed that they had died probably due to some magic and that the place is probably haunted now. So everyone just leaves it alone. And there is a force field around it, but it's an invisible force field. So, you know, probably people in the area would know that there's a force field around it because if you're just walking down the street and all of a sudden you get too close, you're going to walk into a force field. It doesn't kill you or anything. It's just a, a barrier. However, the characters will probably know something's wrong because when they get close to this estate, they'll see dead birds lying all over the place with their necks broken because they've just flying along and all of a sudden they run into this invisible barrier like they fly, oh, yeah. like they fly into the window of your home and, uh -huh. and die. So, <laughs> That's funny. So the the first step is either bringing down the force field, which takes quite a bit of power. Um, you can get you can do it from the inside, but you can't do it from the outside unless you're dealing with like disintegrate spells and so on. Uh, but you can dig under it, or you can use magic to temporarily bring down part of it in order to get in. I like that you can dig under it. Like yeah. that seems like a design flaw, right? Well. It, <laughs> Exactly, but it's going to keep out most people. Right? That's true. But, you know, adventurers who have the time, you know, it's going to take you an hour. Plus, when guards come by, they're going to see you digging here in the middle of nowhere because it's not right up next to the estate. It's, you know, it's a, quite a big force field. So they're going to wonder what you're doing and probably tell you to cut it out. I mean, that's a uh, it's that's like a like a whole like seen out of like Ghostbusters when they're like in the middle of the street trying to like access the sewers or whatnot. Yep. Something yep. like that. One of those or like a heist movie, you know, yeah. like like what are you doing out here? Right. Some sort of lie. Like right. that, you that have scene to, is great. You have to make up a reason why you're digging up the street here. Mm hmm So the uh the towers are exactly what they sound like. There's a, a low building with two towers that rise up from it. And so basically when you're investigating you're gonna have to either go up one tower or go up the other tower or a, in a couple places, there's a bridge between the two. Um, so it's a neat map in, in, in that sense. And you, so you can go into the tower, and the tower has three cool things going for it that are kind of all mashed together. It's neat because the place is a little bit sort of haunted. Um, one of the brothers just left, but the other brother died here. But he 
he set up some traps and he he himself died but Manchun brought his head back to life as a flame skull. Oh man. So so he he floats around telling people to get out of his house, to get off his lawn basically, um as a flame skull. So that's one cool thing. There's there's Did he do that to Bob? I think so. Okay. Uh, we should probably do that. Um the second thing is Manchun's Zent people are this is their hideout. So they're they're you know just doing their own thing. There's another cook. He's a mage. He's a halfling, but you know he's there cooking using mage hand to cut up vegetables and make a soup when the characters break in. And the third thing is, once the characters get to a certain point, they see a, an extra dimensional teleporter, which they need a magical ring to activate, which some of the members of the Zent um, sect have. And if they use that, they go to an extra-dimensional space, which is where Manchun is hiding. Mm. Okay? So so that's it's kind of three different areas all mushed together, and you can tweak those to highlight different ones at different times. At first, it could be just a hideout. And then once you get through the original hideout portion, then it becomes this kind of weird haunted place. And then once you get through that, then you can go on to the extra-dimensional uh, space where Manchun is hiding. So that's the uh, that's kind of the general overall view of of this section. Now, what I wanted to say is the reason that most characters would be going here is if the Zent sect got a hold of the Stone of Galore. Now. One of the issues then is you have maybe fifth or sixth or even third or fourth level characters trying to break into this place that is much more dangerous than a third or fourth level character can handle. So you're going to need to rearrange some things because if Manchun's people did take the stone, they gave it to Manchun, so his he's holding it in his study in his extra-dimensional space, so you're talking probably 10, 12, 14, 16 hours worth of play if you just turn the characters loose there and force them to go through this whole thing to get there. So if you're using this in that sense where the characters need something from inside it, you're going to want to rearrange how it works. You're going to want to put the thing they need closer to the entrance so they can get to it more easily. One thing you could do, though, is... Have them explore a little bit, find some clues, leave, maybe get some help, go back in, explore a little bit more to get to the next part, maybe find the ring, have them leave, maybe get some more help. So you could do it that way, so more sort of piecemeal and not make it into this interminable dungeon crawl that is way too hard for them. Uh, yeah, I think they'll have to like go in and come out and basically just like scanning through the section like... There's a flesh golem running around. Those things are tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even mages, just a regular mage. There's several just plain mages in there. Oh, man. They'll just they can just blow you up. Cause they right. all have fireball. They all have fireball. So they're all just blowing you straight to Hades. Mm-hmm. Um, so. This section is best used. As with a scalpel and not necessarily with a hammer. Yeah, this is. It definitely sounds like it's one of those parts of the game where you might want to uh, 
if you're going to have them go in there, you might want to turn it more into a uh, sort of cinematic heisty type situation where they're going to be running away from more things and make it apparent that they should probably be running away from more things. Yep. So you could get get them one of these rings early and put one of the teleportation circles into a room early so mm-hmm. they can get to somewhere that has what they need without having to, to do all of this. Um, like the Like the one you talked about, Chris, there is a list of lieutenants um, that you could choose from to uh, flesh out a, a, a smaller story. So you could just deal with one of Manchu's lieutenants rather than having to deal with him. Oh, and at the end, there is some things that you can do based on it being winter. So like you had the troll tide parade where the trolls were released Mm-hmm. Here there is the Dead Winter Day Feast, where the Fellowship of Innkeepers, in conjunction with a bunch of bakers' guilds and butchers' guilds and vintners, distillers, and brewers' guilds, decide to hold this big feast for the residents, and they ask if they can hold it at your inn. Oh, that's cool. So there's a little description of everything, you know, you having to deal with this huge party going on at your tavern, and there's so many people in there that... Stuff gets destroyed just because of crowding and overuse. But then the Carpenters, Roofers, and Plasterers Guild, since you had such a great party, tell you that they will fix it for free, but you have to close it down for 10 days. And then that, so you lose money there, but then you get more money because all the people that came had such a good time that they can't wait to to come and, and frequent your tavern uh, uh, as, soon, as soon as it opens. You're like rebuilding your uh, your patronage real fast. Like, yep. So that's know, pretty so, cool. So things the um, the that element to it, you know, the holiday seasonal elements, neat. And the last thing I wanted to say, and what I couldn't remember before, was that Manchun is also blackmailing a couple of nobles, and he has that information stored in his study. So if the characters can get a hold of that maybe earlier in their search of his hideout, they can then either go back and deal with those nobles by stopping whatever they plan to do or by agreeing to maybe destroy the evidence that Manchun has against them. For favors. For favors, exactly. So, you know, this chapter is many different things. It's a dungeon crawl. It could turn into a dungeon crawl, but it's also a story and it's also lots of side quests. And it's also, you know, one of the important parts of the straight on quest that we've already talked about. So mm-hmm. with any of these chapters, just the winter, the spring, the summer, or the fall, they're all really rich. And you, you probably want to just focus on one at a time. Yes, absolutely. Because you can do way too much with just one of them. So trying to use all four of them would drive even the most experienced and able dungeon masters a bit mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a really good place to stop because, you know, that was a really good conversation about two of the sections. And uh, uh, the other ones are, are similar, uh, I would imagine. I, I've kind of glanced through them. They seem similar. Mm-hmm. So I guess we should uh, get on out of here. That was a that was a good discussion. I think uh, I think that might be the end of our talk on the uh, Waterdeep Dungeon uh, Dragon Heist. I think so. If only there was another book that they've already put out that was a huge book that we could talk about. 
Uh, uh, cough, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Cough. Uh, uh. I, I, maybe we should talk about some of the levels of that, huh? Yeah, it's it's a thing. Yeah, I'll have to pick it up and, and get a hold of it and read it because I don't have it. So I've glanced through it, but I have not done a deep dive into it yet. Well, maybe we'll pick out some of the sections and talk about it over the course of the next few weeks. Assuming you folks out there are enjoying these episodes, because I, I really like going through these books and talking about them. So I think some of the writing has been a lot more uh, engaging and entertaining, in, mm-hmm. in especially in this book. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. All right, well, with that, I wanted to say thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And let's uh, uh, let's do some Patreon shout-outs. So Kevin Minorzak, the old-school DM Randy Farmer, uh, who didn't know what the term shipping meant, but I think we've we've covered that. We now we all are now all on the same page for what shipping means. Uh, Sean Merwin, the Mad Wizard himself, uh, Troy Sandlin, Will Doyle, Zach Goins, Andrew Dacey of V Waxburg, uh, Chris Constantine, Cindy Moore, Eric Mengi, Eric Simon, Miko Froelich, Tabletop Gaming Deals, Victor White, Andrew Dempsey, Brett, just Brett, Camden Wright, Chris Steele. Uh, let me try that again. Chris Steele and uh, Curtis Y. Takahashi. I cannot do Chris Steele's name justice like Phil does. No, nobody can. No, no. Uh, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to become a patron of Down With D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes. There's also that thing where you can get in the slack room for life. Yeah, it's not. It wasn't in my copy here, Chris. I don't know. Oh, it's not your copy. It's really not. No, it's right. Oh. Yeah, you're right. It's not. That's See, weird. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't like copy over the old one. I just used the new one. I, ah. I, I, I used the new one. Hmm. I'll have to go fix that. Anyways, you can also get access to our Slack room for life for that $4, which, you know, people take advantage of that. And I do things every once in a while, like ask questions like it's nine days in to the new year. What has been your best gaming experience so far? Damn the fact that it's only been or darn the fact that it's only been nine days. Tell us anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. They help, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts, since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts to rate and rank shows, and that would help make us more visible. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. Or if you want to talk with the Mad Wizard, you can catch him at Menagerie Wizard on Twitter. I'm also on the Down with D&D G Plus community, as well as Facebook. Mm-hmm. How about you, Chris? Uh, the network and pretty much the show Twitter is at misdirected mark. If you, uh, you know, at misdirected mark, any of this stuff for down with D and D and just put the hashtag D and D on there. I will respond post haste. I always check that the D and D part of you will respond. Yes. The D and D part of me will respond. I have, I am a very, uh, I'm a faceted gem of personalities and, and identities. Um, some would even say maybe split a little too much. I've always called you a faceted gem, Chris. A faceted gem. There you go. <laughs> uh, you can also just go, I mean, you can catch me at The Light 101 also. Um, you can just go to the website, too, where you can catch other great shows, such as this one, Zhang Yu Hustle. Trained alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Zhang Yu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. Down with the Indie is a misdirected mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Sean, is there anything in particular we're going to do now? I believe that we should go kill some water deep villains. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs>